0: We pray that you would uh, bless this time for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, were you ever in school, and hopefully this did not happen to you, but I wonder, did, did it ever happen where the teacher just casually said, all right, take out your papers and turn them in, and you had no clue it was due that day. You're not even sure what the assignment was that you were supposed to turn in. That is a very distressing situation. I've heard, of course, I would not have been in that situation. Now, of course, it's happened to everybody, I think. But perhaps that's the situation that just occurred when we read this section, when Jesus says, when you fast, what's he assuming there? You are fasting. You, his believers, his disciples are fasting. If I were to ask you, what is fasting? How often ought you to do it? If I were to ask a series of questions like that, would you have good answers? Or would you be like the person who was supposed to turn in the paper? Uh, I don't know. I have been neglecting this. I don't know what it is. Well, tonight, of course, it is our goal to do this. Uh, some of the reasons that it is neglected in our world and not, not um, in every denomination, not in every part of the world. Some places they, they fast routinely and regularly. Why is it? Well, Albert Martin says that uh part of that in the protestant world is a is a pendulum swing a reaction away from uh the roman church where they had fast you know you, you can fast on friday you can't eat anything but you can eat as much fish as you want and that's a fast so there were all sorts of these things like where did that come from in scripture and so the reformers were, you know uh, reacting against that that was that's what albert martin thinks and we know um another reason that it's not uh, seen uh, or understood fully in our generation is because in the world we live in, we kind of have the problem that um, Philippians 3.19 says, their God is their belly. We know food is a significant thing in our culture. If you watch advertising on TV, food is highly focused upon. Uh, It is a significant part of our culture. We're fascinated with it. We're not the only generation or culture that has. You remember the Romans had their um, vomitoriums where they would eat and and gorge themselves and then go get rid of it and then come back and eat some more. So we're not the only generation that is absorbed with food uh, and that has this off of our minds. You're going to See me quoting extensively tonight from Calvin and from Matthew Henry, from people of yesteryear. Uh, and the reason why is because they have so much of the good stuff and it's, it's, it's unusual for us. You have to go back to find it. And this is one of the reasons, you know, C.S. Lewis and his argument for why do you read old books? Why pick up these old books? There's so many good new books. And, you know, his argument is every age has its own outlook and is specifically good at seeing certain truths specific and specific. Specifically liable to make certain mistakes. We all therefore need books that will correct the characteristic mistakes of our own period, and that means the old books. So I would have you see three things tonight. One, uh, fasting in theory. What is fasting? What is it? uh, How are we uh, to do it? Is our second point fasting in practice. And then the third is fasting to the glory of God. So just by way of review, remember we are in the Sermon on the Mount. How did it start? Well, it started out with the character of the believer, the character of the Christian. Blessed are those who are who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We know that the Christian is not a proud one. They're a humble one who is filled with Christ's righteousness and seeking out in that way. Then uh, Christ spoke into the law, spoke about how... Um, it's not just about murdering it's about thinking hateful thoughts and lust so he's covering the the thought life of the christian on the inside and now in chapter 6 he's moved to how do you practice outward religion? Uh, remember he talked about uh, prayers in public in front of other people. That's practicing your righteousness. Um, how do you do alms giving when others can see? And this is verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So that's the the context of where we are. We are continuing this about how do we practice righteousness? How do we do these outward acts of worship to our God? It is, as Henry called it, the subtle sin of vainglory, of self-worship. And in verse 1 it says, beware, take heed, be alert. So we are to be alert as we are learning this. So fasting in theory... We've already established that we're supposed to be fasting, but what is it? What is fasting? Well, Matthew chapter 9 verses 14 and 15 gives us more detail on this. Jesus uh, returns to the subject of fasting, and here's what he says in Matthew chapter 9 verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So he's giving us a definition there. What does fasting involve? It involves a spirit of mournfulness. There is mourning that is involved in fasting. It is mourning of something. And and we'll see in the examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It can be in different contexts, but it's always in a spirit of mourning, mourning your lack, mourning what you don't have what you ought to have, or be what you ought to be, but it's in a spirit of mourning. Uh, Psalm thirty-five, verse thirteen, David says, But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted and humbled myself with fasting. So it is consistent throughout that uh, fasting involves humbling yourself, afflicting yourself. Uh Christ came. He, he came to earth. He was incarnate and he was here. And then he ascended into heaven, and he is coming again. So we're living in this already and the not yet. So when we as Christians fast, we are mourning the fact that he has not come back again. We're in this not yet area where we know the outcome that Christ will reign in the end. He will subdue all things. He's currently reigning, but he will in the end subdue everything under his reign and rule and feet. And we are, uh, you know, mourning that that has not happened yet. Here's a quote from Matthew Henry. It is an act of self denial and mortification of the flesh, a holy revenge upon ourselves, and a humiliation under the hand of God. The most grown Christians must hereby own that they are so far from having a thing to be proud of. That they are unworthy of their daily bread. It is a means of curbing the flesh and the desires of it. It is to make us more lively and more religious in our exercises as faithful, uh, as fullness of bread makes one drowsy. Uh, One side note here. Uh, Jesus was commenting about, I'm the bridegroom and I'm here now. And when I'm taken away, then they will start to fast. Well, just think. When Christ walked this planet, how many people was he able to talk to in any given day? Or how many people was he able to mentor or answer questions or heal? It was a a limited number. It was the people that could come and travel to him and get access to him. Oftentimes we think, oh, if only I could have been alive when Christ was on the planet. I could have heard him. And, And that is true. It would have been an amazing thing to see him preach, to see him heal. But by the same token, who's to say you would have been in Judea, in that part of the world? You might have been born somewhere else and not had access to him. Or even if you did, maybe you'd been able to get to the very back of the Sermon on the Mount and hear some of it. But maybe you never would have been able to make it through the crowds to see or to hear. Think what a blessing it is that he did go and then sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who you have with you even now in your hearts. Who does not have access to God? Everyone has access to God who is a believer in Christ, who has received this Holy Spirit. So do not underestimate that just in passing. As a side note, that is a glorious truth. All right, let's take a quick survey. We're trying to figure out what is fasting. Let's take a quick survey of what it was in the Old Testament. There was only one commanded fast in the Old Testament, and that was the yearly Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It was in Leviticus 16. And they were too fast. Then there were also national emergencies that the leaders would call. Uh, For example, we have one in Nehemiah 9, when oftentimes the nation was found out to be that they were in sin, and so the leaders say, it is time for us to fast and mourn and repent that we have not done what we ought to. So there were national emergencies that caused the leaders to call fast, and then there were personal emergencies. You can all probably think of David. Once Nathan the prophet had told him, your son is going to die, and then he fasted and he and he wept and he he did these acts this was in second samuel twelve sixteen. and so this was a personal emergency for david and he fasted we have daniel who fasted in captivity moses fasted for 40 days elijah fasted for 40 days so in the old testament fasting was routine it was often and there were those three fasts the the day of atonement the national fast and the personal fast now what has happened to the day of atonement Christ has died on the cross as the atonement. Do we do we celebrate the Day of Atonement anymore? No, it was fulfilled by Christ on the cross. So there is no more Day of Atonement fast for Christians. We do not do that. But there are still fasts called by elders, by leaders, and thankfully we go to a church where our elders do call us to a day of fasting occasionally. And there is, of course, the fasting for the personal uh, emergencies. Now let's look at the New Testament. Of course we know Jesus fasted for 40 days, but beyond just Jesus, we know from Acts 13 verses 1 and 2, it says, "Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifetime friend, a lifetime friend of Herod the tetrarch and Saul. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting." In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed themselves to the Lord in whom they had believed. So fasting was a regular occurrence in the New Testament church. It was a regular occurrence among the apostles. Uh so we are not to cast it aside, regardless of abuses that have happened through history. We are not to say, well, because other people have abused it, I'm just going to completely remove myself from it. That is not right. Uh, MacArthur summarizes the different types of fasting that we see. It's with sadness you see fast, with prayer you see fast, with chastity charity rather you see fast, and with seeking the Lord's will, you see fasts. Now, what is, it's a strange thing to think you're giving up food and there's some sort of spiritual benefit. How does this apply? You have the physical and then you have the spiritual. How do these two things meet together? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, man is body, mind, and spirit. These things are very intimately related to one another and interact closely upon one another. We distinguish them because they are different, but we must not separate them because they are interrelated and have an interaction. There could be no question whatsoever that bodily physical states and conditions do have a bearing upon the activity of the mind and the spirit so that the element of fasting must be considered in this peculiar relationship of the body, mind and spirit. What fasting really means, therefore, is abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And so you see there, one, fasting is not just a diet. People go on diets all the time. There's no spiritual benefit to a, a diet that you're just doing to lose weight or or become uh, healthier in some way. First uh, Timothy 4, eight says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of greater value in every way as it upholds the promise of the present life and also for the life that is to come. So it is not just, you know. Fasting does not do something in and of itself. It's not like if I just fast, then I'm going to automatically receive mechanicalistically some reward. It is not something in and of itself. It's something that leads you into uh, something else, a spiritual reality. It is not just disciplining the body. All Christians are to be disciplined, uh, like Paul was in 1 Corinthians 9.27. Paul said, I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So that's supposed to be our natural state at all times. We're supposed to always be disciplined. Uh, fasting is some special occurrence that happens at peculiar times or peculiar situations. I'll quote Calvin here. There is a wide difference indeed between prayer and fastings. Prayer holds the first rank among the duties of piety, but fasting is a a doubtful operation and does not like alms belong to the class of actions which God requires or approves. It is pleasing to God only so far as it directs. You to another object that is to train us to abstinence, to subdue the lust of the flesh, to excite us to earnestness in prayer and to testify of our repentance when we are affected by the view of the tribunal of God. Uh, the meaning of Christ's words is this. God will one day show that he was well pleased with those who do good works which appeared to be lost because they were concealed from the eyes of men. So the point is, if all you're doing is just doing something for physical purposes, there is no spiritual gain that you're receiving out of it. There must be, it must be driving you to prayer. It must be driving you to a dependence upon God. It is self-denial and mortification of the flesh for godly purposes. Uh, Speaking of this kind of mechanical response, some people have this view. Uh, Many of you know Rick Warren. Uh, His church, if you hadn't heard, his church has been kicked out of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, for uh, lacking in biblical faithfulness. But one of his uh, uh, teachings on this was um, he was teaching on the topic of of fasting, and he was talking about breakthroughs. And he says, I don't know where you need a breakthrough, and it doesn't matter to me, but I tell you, if you do these things, you will have a breakthrough. And he, he listed four things in the fast. It is not a mechanical thing like that you don 't get to put a quarter in the slot machine and get out an automatic response that 's not how it works. Uh, think of David when he fasted and mourned did was his son spared no God has no obligation to respond in a certain way, and if you're using fasting to just get something from God, of course that's not going to be honored or respected. We go before God beating our chest and mourning before Him and fasting before Him because He is good, and we submit ourselves to Him. It's a humbling of ourselves, not a proud demanding of things for what we consider to be our service to Him. No, we don't treat fasting like that. So, in summary, in our first point for what is fasting in theory, it is mournfully abstaining for spiritual gain. Mournfully abstaining for spiritual gain. There is a brokenness, a hurt, a, a humble in the spirit, and we are doing it for spiritual purposes. Now, fasting in practice, what is it supposed to look like when we do this fasting? Uh, Verses 16 and 18 in chapter 6, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and that that their fasting may be seen by others. This was not new to the Pharisees of Jesus' day. This was a common thing. Uh, In Isaiah 58, 3, it says, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And the response that God gives is, behold, in the day of your fast, you were seeking your own pleasure. You were not seeking me. You were not seeking my will. You were not seeking my glory. You were seeking your own pleasure, your own purposes. It's abusing what this is. Remember, we've he's t- he said the same thing with all of these things. When he started with alms, he said, You're supposed to be giving for the good of the church, for my glory. And yet you're giving to be known as the big giver. You're trying to make it about your kingdom, and that's ridiculous. And then he said the same thing about prayer. You're supposed to be coming to me in humble humility, depending on me, showing my goodness and when I answer prayer. And instead, you're just trying to let other people hear you pray so that it's about you. And it's the same thing with this uh, fasting. It's supposed to be about humbling yourself before God, not making yourself seem, hey, look at me, everybody. I'm fasting, and you can tell because I'm making myself look disheveled and unkempt. Uh, we are not to look gloomy. We're to anoint our head and wash our face. That's just saying look like you normally do throughout the week so that it doesn't stand out to people. Calvin says, in short, that the fastings which we engage in should make no change in our accustomed way of living. Now, uh, this is the same as the other ones we're commanded to do these private secret fasts. Does that mean that no one else can know? Well, we've had to answer the same question with all of them. In prayer, is public prayer a sin? No, public prayer is not a sin. We pray together in worship all the time. You pray with your family and friends before you have a meal. Public prayer is not a sin. When Christ says, go into your prayer closet and pray there, not pray in public, he's making the point that it is about your motive. What is your? You're not praying to say, everybody look at me. You're just praying because you're praying to God. You're praying wherever you are, wherever you happen to be, whether it's with people or on your own. You're praying to God, not for other people's sake. And it's the same with fasting, when we have a church fast, as we do once a year, it's not uh, a sin that we're like, well, I know everybody else is fasting, so it ruins it for everybody. Why are we even doing this? No, it's uh, we are called to these public fasts, as we are called to private fasts, but we don't run around to the whole world and make it about ourselves. It is not the issue of somebody happened to find out about it, and now it's all ruined for you. It is that you are to be seeking God and his glory and his righteousness. You're not Parading it around for your own glory. Now, uh, what, we're in talking about the specifics. How are we to be doing this? Um in other religions, it's very clear in the Jews, of course, have their Day of Atonement because they have not gotten the news that the Day of Atonement is no longer necessary because of Christ's death on the cross, which is a very sad thing. But the Muslims, they have their their month of Ramadan where they do their fasting. What is our our schedule? How are we to do it? Do we do it from morning till evening? Do we do it for 40 days? What's the type of food that we are supposed to be doing? Do you know where that's found in Scripture? It's not. It's not found in Scripture on those sort of details. And what does that tell you? Is that the important thing in fasting? Is all those little details of what we're supposed to be giving up or how long we're supposed to be giving up, is that the important thing? It's not the how, it's the why. We are making ourselves humble before God. We are showing that we're not dependent on food. We're not dependent on these other things more than we're dependent on God and His greatness. Uh, just one more comment about you know the pendulum swing so the Pharisees uh, we know from Luke 18:12 they fasted twice a week Uh, and then the Talmud tells us that that was on Monday and Thursday. So does that mean it's bad to fast, and it's bad to fast twice a week? You ought not to? No, just, they also breathe the air. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to breathe air either. Perhaps you are to fast, and perhaps you are to fast that often. You know, Wesley and his followers fasted twice a week. They were on uh, Wednesday and Friday. Uh, so the issue is not fasting, it's the, the issue is, Are you doing it for other people to know? Are you doing it for your own glory? It could be good for you to fast often and routinely, even weekly. It could be. All right, fasting for God's glory, the final point. As we've said, uh, this is about him. It is not about ourselves. This is the last verse, uh, verse 18, the last part of it where it says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So remember the comment we've made. This, our God is not a dumb idol that we've carved, sat, set up, and then we worship it, and it can't hear and it can't see. Our God sees all things, hears all things, and we pray to Him. Calvin says this, we should be affected by the view of the tribunal of God. The meaning of Christ's word is this, God will one day show that He was pleased with our good works. So when other people are watching you, you do get on your best behavior. You know, uh, teachers in a classroom are often observed, and sometimes they're teaching. And when they somebody comes in that's important, what happens? They start to sit up, and they do things a little bit better than they were doing uh, the moment before. And it's the same with everybody. And when you're under job review, when you know your boss is looking at you, when you know something's going on, you kind of sit up and you do it. Does the fact that God sees you mean anything to you? Does it motivate you more does it when you 're like well, if i can 't like let everybody know that i 'm fasting what 's the point it 's not even it's, it doesn 't do me any good. Does the fact that god it says here, God who sees in secret, will reward you? Does that not motivate you to say? My God in heaven, whom I love and worship and adore, he's proud when I do things like this. Oh, I want that this tribunal in heaven, this holy trinity, would see something that would bring him glory and honor. I want to do this. Is that a driving, motivating force in your life? It ought to be. We ought not just to be thinking about the praise of people, the praise of mankind. It is worthless. What is meaningful is God's gaze, his view. Let that motivate us. Uh, it's also about having the right relationship with food. You know, we're, we're talking about fasting because that's what the topic of our sermon is on. But we are not the type of people that say, well, food is evil. Food is bad. It's physical. It's the body. Spiritual's good and physical is bad. That's not the case. God made the physical and he made the spiritual. There are times not just in the Bible where you're supposed to fast. There are times when there's feasts. There's feasting and enjoying. Uh, there is a time for both. We are not to be controlled by either uh, thing. Exodus twelve fourteen says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to your Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So God does want you not just to sometimes do away with food. He wants you sometimes to enjoy it even more for his glory and his greatness. John Piper says this, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetites for heaven, but the mindless nibbling at the table of the world. The greatest adversary for the love of God is, his, is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are for the simple pleasures of the earth. For when these replace the appetites for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. So the point being, food is a good gift from God. It is right that we would enjoy it, but so that we do not get lulled into its secret uh, uh, snare we sometimes do away with it we go without it to show that we get our goodness from our god not from it luke 8:14 says they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life mark 4:19 says the desires for other things come in and choke the world We are to be focused on our Lord. We are to be willing to give up whatever He requires of us. We are to be disciplined. We are to be humbling ourselves in His sight. Paul Washer says that fasting is the one passion driving out another passion. We are not fasting. It's not a morbid fast. It's not like, oh, I'm going to miss out on this stuff. I'm not going to get this stuff. You are gaining spiritual reality. You are gaining closer relationship with God. You are gaining uh, your right relationship with God in your humbling of it. Sometimes we get proud in our daily lives and we need to humble ourselves so that we're back in under submission to our God. We are not missing out, but gaining a greater thing. Matthew 4, 4, this is Christ. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God this is the view. It, life is not about just food and sustenance. It's, it's about a relationship with God and compare that to the Corinthian view. Here was the Corinthian view. First Corinthians six thirteen through 14. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was their motto. It's basically saying whatever your appetites do, you just act out on them. You live them out. If your stomach tells you you're hungry, you do it. If your sexual desires tell you one thing, you act out. You just do what the body tells you. And the Christian does not live like that. Christ says it's not about just physicality. There's spiritual reality. And we worship our God. We love our God. We give him glory in that. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you live like that? Do you depend on his word every moment of the day? When you go without food... You live like it. You know it. You say, Oh, I'm ravenous. And you, and the next meal you get, you gorge yourself. You like that food. When you go without the word of God, do you have the same experience? Ah, oh, I miss that word of God. I need it. I, and you get back in it and you dig into it or is your appetite dull for the word of God? We must fast to keep ourselves in this right relationship, keeping ourselves from the desires of the world and frequently Showing our dependence on our great God. I will conclude with Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9. We're talking about fasting. And yet, do you know what the greatest anti-fast will ever be? What's the final feast, the final thing that we all look forward to? I'm going to read 7 through 9 of chapter 19 of Revelation. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure, for the linen was the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who in are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. There will be a final marriage supper. Can you imagine the spread at that feast? Can you imagine the joy? There is fasting now where we go without things, but there is no fasting then when we have the reality of it. And so I'll ask you, dear one, is your name, as this verse says, is your name... On the invitation list. Will you be invited on that last day. To this great feast. If not dear ones. Now is the time to repent and believe. If it is. Rejoice and live like it. Live like you are attending that final feast. Let nothing in this world bog you down. Let it not depress you. You are on your way to the marriage feast. What happens between here and there is important, but not in ultimate significance compared to being with Christ in that final day. The food you give up here is small and paltry. You think of your great reward with your God who is in heaven. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are a good God. We thank you that you are righteous and holy and good and that you satisfy us. Oh, help us to be consistently satisfied with your goodness. Help us not to be enslaved by our hungers and passions for things of this world. Keep us captivated by your goodness. Help us to see of that heavenly bread. Help us to be part of that spiritual reality, not relegated to living just in the mundane earthly aspects but to always be seeking your goodness help us give us the desire to mourn when we ought to mourn to fast when we ought to fast to be humbled before you keep us humble before you help us to give you glory in all things we pray in christ's name and for his glory amen Please.